in partnership with Paizo. The No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. And uh, welcome to the uh, secret. No, no, it's not secrets this year. It's the world of Galarian secret. panel. Uh, yeah. To those uh, folks who've been following uh, PaizoCon and uh, PaizoCon uh, presences uh, for the last uh, uh, decade or so um, are used to this panel being called the Secrets of Galarian. But uh, we changed it up this year because um, a lot of things aren't secret anymore. Um, like who we are. Let's start with that. Uh, I'm Mark Moreland. I'm Paizo's uh, Director of Brand Strategy. And uh, we'll uh, start over here with Luis. I'm Louis Floza. I'm a Pathfinder developer working on the Lost Omens line. Hi, I'm James Linda. Jacobs. I'm the Creative oh. Director for Pathfinder. Palmer, the Organized Play Lead Developer. Okay. So... Um, as I was uh, was saying, yeah, we we've uh, in the past called this the Secrets of Galarian panel, and um, then we spend about half of the panel length talking about how um, we're not going to reveal any secrets that people don't already know, and how there's a reason that we keep secrets, um, both to give GMs more room to work and so that we have enticing things to help us sell books. Um, we're not going to do that this year. Um, in fact, I wanted to start off um, with uh, a review of some of the, the big secrets that have been looming in the setting for the last few uh, years uh, that we've actually gone and revealed more about or that we've, that we've done the deep dive that we always promised um, uh, in that. So um, let's uh, just start here with, um, with the first slide, Param. This is actually not one of those secrets that we revealed, but it seemed like a good uh, image to start with. Um, this is uh, one of the chapter openers from the forthcoming City of Lost Omens book, uh, which is a gigantic giant i don't even know how many pages is it Luis? two three i think we're knocking 300 is it over three point. <laughs> okay yeah it, or, it's, we're very it's close several hundred pages yes of um of information about the city of absalom and this uh this is the uh opener for the uh the keeps section i believe and um it just uh there's a lot of uh striking uh images in the book um but this one um this one really just uh I feel like that's what we're doing in this panel is we're opening the gates wide. We are marching through into the illumination of secrets revealed and, uh, and questions answered. So, um, one of the um, the big things that we that we did in the last um, twelve months, uh, we finally illustrated and showed what the star stone looks like. Let's go to the next slide. The star stone. Yeah. Now this is uh, an interior illustration from the forthcoming uh, Lost Omens Legends book. Um, you'll note that uh, it's not just the star stone you're looking at, but it is the star stone with the face of someone who is. Um, apparently very close to the star stone and, and being reflected in it. Um, I'm sure nothing uh, bad will happen should that uh, individual touch the star stone. Um, but uh, one of the questions we've gotten over and over and over year after year was, when are we going to find out more about the star stone? And uh, we have just begun to, uh, you know, 
peel back the uh, the the covering on that to show um, just a little hint of what uh, what the Starstone's all about. Um, you know, you get to see what it looks like. Next, you get to hear what it sounds like. Um, and uh, let's go to the next slide. There we go. Who's this uh, this fun guy? This is uh, another one of the big secrets that we uh, that we touched on uh, in our uh, premiere Pathfinder Second Edition Adventure Path. Uh, James, do you want to talk a little bit about um, about who this uh, character is and uh, what the big what the big to do was about about uh, them and and uh, what what's the secret that we delved into? Yeah, that's uh, Aridin. Uh We never before revealed that he was a dragon. So, no. <laughs> um, oh, this spoilers. is spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, that's true. There will be spoilers to various adventures and all. This is uh, Menkari, a gold dragon who uh, rules the uh, islands nation of Hermea and uh, the capital city of Promise. Um, and uh, or I may have gotten that reverse or what? It's like unusually early, it's right. like before eleven o'clock. Yay! Um, but the big thing with uh, with uh, Mankari is that he has always been kind of lurking in, in the background of the setting as um, this gold dragon who's running the sort of experiment where he's he's got people all in like he's like he's like farming humans trying to make hu- the, the perfect uh, perfect human that won't betray each other that it, that's going to work together. He's trying to make a utopia basically. And gold dragons are normally lawful good, and we've never published what uh, Mankari's alignment was. And this is obviously Why do you say not normally, a- James. Yeah, because, you know, picking people out and, and telling them what to do and all of that's not a that's definitely lawful. It's not good. So um, one of the, the goals I had with Age of Ashes was to do a deep dive into why Mankari was doing what he was doing and reveal that, yes, in fact, he, he's not a good guy. He's been kind of messed up in the head. And uh, then I uh, hired Luis to basically prove it. So you Luis wrote this this last adventure of Age of Ashes and just kind of knocked it out of the park with just showing so it's so it's is where he came that, from uh, and kari um isn't the the nice guy he pretends to be no no luis is luis is like the, the guy that blows the cover over the you know the, the story it's james sutter's fault oh yeah okay all right he's all he's all the president's men yeah 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 okay all right all right um all right, let's go to the next slide here, and we will look at some of the things that we have coming up. So the, those are just a few of the of the things. You know, we always promise, like, oh, well, we're, we're, we can't answer that because when we do, we want to do it as the centerpiece of an adventure path, and and that is that's one example of of us delving into one of the longstanding secrets of of the world um, in the form of an adventure path that hinges on that character as the as the big lawful good. Um, this here is the cover of Lost Omens Pathfinder, or I'm sorry, Lost Omens Legends, um, which comes out, uh, I believe, end of July. I, th- I think, yep. yeah, this is our Gen Con release, as for whatever that's worth this year. Um, <laughs> Luis, do you want to talk a little bit about this? I know that you were um, one of the architects of this book. Absolutely. So we have a setting that is over a decade old now, and we talk a lot about the people that are important to the setting we talk about kings and you know important merchants and you know all the villains and all that stuff all the time and bring them up in ap's but a lot of the time they get name drops maybe fleshed out with a paragraph or two and just say they're important but never really have a chance to explore who they are or what they do or how they're affecting galarian so with lost Omen legends we decided to take dozens of these important people from you know important warriors kings evil villains let's go to the next slide 
uh, Tarbafan and, and the like, or even figures who shape the history of Galarian. Uh, as you can see in the slide, we have there the first depiction of uh, Targic, the uh, the dwarf king who led them to uh, complete the quest for Sky. Uh, so Lost Omens Legends presents dozens of these uh, NPCs in and their background and how they're shaping the world, have shaped the world, and their connections with the other NPCs that are in, in the book as well. So if you see here, we have both Nex and uh, uh, Geb here, who are very intrinsically tied to each other with, with um, goings on. And we explain their relationship with each other and also some of the other figures in the world. And we also wanted to set up some cool mechanics with, with these figures. If you happen to, let's say, make a deal with Queen Abigail Thrune and sign a Thrune contract, you can get a lot of power. And we have the mechanics that show you what cool stuff you get and also tells your GM what kind of uh, secret sneaky power she snuck into the contract that lets her kind of take control of you if need be, if you ever wrong her. Okay, seems fair. Yeah, so this this slide here shows um, three of the historical figures that are covered in, in the book. Um, they are all either... Um, not active in the world currently or are long dead. Um, let's go to the next slide and we can see some of the characters that are the movers and shakers today. Um, folks will probably recognize um, at least two of them, maybe three, but um, yeah, I'm really excited for this book. I think that um, the it's not like anything we've ever done before. And I think that we, we have always gotten people who want to know more about the lore of the world um, to, to really flesh it out as a, as a living place. And this book does that, I think, as well as anything we've ever done um, in the past. And, and I'm really excited to see what people see of this. Um, people playing at home. Uh, uh, let's go to the is, next page and I'll let... <laughs> I was just going to say that is Princess Utropia. Uh, and that is... Um... Isn't she, is she still Princess? What's her title now? Um, she is, is she, grand. Is she empress? What is uh, grand? Um, I think she's empress. She, grand she rules. Yeah, grand princess or grand empress. She I can't remember. Rule. <laughs> rule. Uh, and on the far right, that was Janatima, one of the Magambia members. Um, and White Estrid was in the middle. White right? Estrid, yes, in the middle with with Boil Tongue. The they're yeah. good friends. Yes. Um, and uh, now we're looking at the cover of the uh, Lost Omens Pathfinder Society Guide. Um, which I'll let Linda talk a little bit about. Um, and then we've got uh, some previews of a few characters that show up in that as well. Pathfinder Society Guide is a project that the organized play team was super excited to work on and because it's a chance to delve a lot more into the a lot of the characters and locations that we've been using and our adventures to give people more insight into what's going on with those to tell people about uh to tell people about some of those big features like the factions that are central to the campaign and the story and this is also a book that um the organized play team uh, worked very closely with the developers on this and um the authors for this book um everyone on the organized play team uh pretty much, including Tanya, uh, wrote a lot for this as well. So we were all really able to pull together what we knew. And it also means that we were able to drop a bunch of, of directions where we may be thinking of going. Let's go to the next slide here. And Linda, can you talk about the uh, three characters here who have a history in the Pathfinder Society, both in organized play and not in organized play, and sort of 
what this book uh, gave us the opportunity to do in terms of sort of telling those stories going forward or, or advancing their timelines? Yes, certainly. So um, on the left here, we have um, we have Yondo Klein, who has appeared in quite a bit of Pathfinder fiction and who we uh, brought back and, and organized play into the Pathfinder Society fold as a faction leader this past year. Um, so if so, this book is going to be a chance to read about his story as well as his journey back to the his journey back to the society and what sorts of thing what it means to be a member of the Vigilant Seal faction that he champions now. Um, in the middle, we have Zarta Drowlin, who has been a a prominent character throughout the Pathfinder Society story, um, starting off as a faction leader who was very partisan to Chiliacs in the early seasons. Um, and then as a variety of things from her backstory and her family's past ha have been revealed, her, uh, her noble family lineage and even ties to and claims to the throne of Chiliacs uh, were revealed in some of the past season scenarios. And she was really faced with the decision of whether she was going to try to pursue these sorts of leads as a um, as a political provocateur in Chiliacs or whether she was going to stick with the Pathfinder Society. And it was really cool that um, we actually were able to use the reporting data for a certain scenario to, to decide the PCs got to advise her, hey, you know, should I stay with this, uh, the Pathfinder Society, or should I go follow this lead? And overwhelmingly, the data said that the, the characters advised her to stay. And so she's still around, and she is... Uh, Instead of working as a faction leader now, she is the uh, the Grand Archivist of the of the Grand Lodge. So she finally got what she wanted in terms of the official and respected position, as opposed to being someone who is constantly working the shadows. And uh, on the far right here, we have Venture Captain Sheila Hydemark, who's been one of our most prominent venture captains over the years, uh, particularly in uh, Pathfinder 1's uh, Year of the Risen Rune, Year 4. Um, and as well as uh, having a central role in a variety of other products like the uh, the Shattered Star, Adventure Path, and others. So uh, she and her uh, husband, Knaven Hydemark, who you'll definitely get to see a lot more about here, um, co-run the Hydemark Manor Lodge in Magnamar. And it's interesting that uh, Knaven has always sort of been like this, and he's also here character. So while you've seen about Sheila, uh, this is going to be the chance to learn more about what's going on with too. Okay, thanks, Linda. Um, and that book comes out, I believe, in uh, October or November. It's it's in the it's in the fall. Um, uh, so uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, let's go to the next slide here, and we'll have um, another picture of the Starstone. Um, Ikari. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like face off. <laughs> they switched places. Um, yeah, uh, this uh, this here is uh, is our good buddy Aridin. Um, this is a picture from the past when Aridin was alive, um, and uh, he uh, is lifting that star stone up. This uh, is just a hint that um, we we've got more info about Aridin coming um, in the form of uh, uh, Dead God's Hand, which is a, a Standalone adventure written by uh, Paizo publisher and chief creative officer Eric Mona. Um, 
and that will be coming as soon as we can get it out. And uh, there's also a lot of information about Aridin just peppered throughout um, the um, uh, the uh, City of Lost Omens uh, guidebook to Absalom, uh, simply because he created the city um, and his his fingerprints are all over it, even even a hundred years after his death. So. Um, so that's just a little hint about uh, about some of the Aridin content coming. Um, I don't think we're going to reveal how he died, so um, folks can keep uh, guessing about that. Um, and then we will go to the last image to talk about the book that is coming out next. This is one that we have not yet revealed. Luis, you want to talk a little bit about it here when it comes up? Our February Lost Omens release, which is titled The Lost Omens Ancestry Guide. Uh, so... We have a lot of ancestries that we have featured in Pathfinder's history throughout the years. Uh, a lot of them are already making their way to the game in um, the APG with, you know, Catfolk, Ratfolk, uh, Kobolds, all those fun things. And then your versatile heritage is like uh, Tieflings and Duskwalkers and whatnot. Uh, so we decided we want some more. We want to bring more stuff in. And also support some of the ancestries that have already, by the time this book has come out, that have made their way to your tables. So the ancestry guide focuses on anything that is not a core ancestry. Humans, goblins, dwarves, elves, we love them, but they have a whole core rulebook and APG and Lost Omens character guide and probably a lot of support that we're expecting in the year. So we want to support things like our good friends, the Leshies, uh, Hobgoblins, all of the new APG ancestries and versatile heritages. Uh, so each of those uh, ancestries that were featured in the APG or any of the Lost Omens books are going to get more heritages, more ancestry feats, and as a lot of new flavor information to uh, give them the full Lost Omens character guide uh, kind of treatment where they get information on their uh, ethnicities and cultures and just their footprint on Galarian. So you get to better role play them and, and use them in your games. But like I mentioned, there's been a, a lot of ancestries in the history of, of Pathfinder. We want to bring some of those back and bring in some new stuff too. And as you can see there on the cover, we have the cool lizard folk from the character guide. And we know the Aruxi. Cool, we have stats and you can play those now. But we also have right there in the middle, the Android, who is, I think, a pretty big favorite, favorite of mine, especially uh, from first edition and from Starfinder. And they're making their way back here with their own ancestry write-up. You'll have full stats, uh, feats, uh, heritages, and ethnicities, all that stuff. Uh, and there's also something new there on the cover, which is uh, that's one of the heritages for one of our new ancestries, which are the sprites. And that heritage in particular is one of the uh, Grig, Grigs that you can play as. So you can play as various types of sprites. You can play as a pixie. You can play as a Grig. Uh, so you'll have lots can of Can I be cool a creepy brownie? You can't be a brownie because brownies aren't sprites. I'm no, sorry. But maybe if, if... Veto. Can... <laughs> Veto. <laughs> right, hold on. Okay, Mark has decided to cancel the book. We have to just <laughs> shut down the entire panel at this point. If I can't be a creepy brownie, I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll be featuring all of the, uh, like I mentioned, all of the ancestries and versatile heritages in the APG and the previous Lost Omens books. New stuff here, including uh, some old favorites like Android, uh, Fetchlings, and Geniekins as versatile heritages. Uh, specifically, the Geniekins are versatile heritages that you can 
tack onto whatever you want, plus some new stuff like uh, the the sprites and uh, something that is a category we're just calling flesh warp, which is just a lot of gross, weird stuff that you can play as. You can play as a legitimate flesh warp, someone who's been partially flesh warped, or you might be a mutant because you were exposed to the, the bad stuff going on at the mana waste, or you might be kind of a cobbled together uh, weird science Frankensteinish type monster. So there's there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and Frankenstein I, was the was the the scientist. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. As Frankensteinish, as if using that type of science to create you. Oh, okay. I thought you'd meant the, the monster <laughs> was Frankenstein. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's going to be a, a lot of other stuff in there. So hopefully, yeah. a lot of people will be liking that, and uh, you'll get a chance to play with that. Like I said, come February. This one's still months months away. February. So we've got we've got plenty of time to. Um, to show that off closer to it. So um, that's our big announcement for the panel. Um, uh, I think now we will open things up for questions. Oh, Um, actually, really quick. There's one other one that I think a lot of people want to know if it's in here, so I'm just going to say it now. Kitsune are in here. Okay, there you go. Hey! (laughs) All right. Um, So we already had one question that came up earlier when we were talking about um, Lost Omens Legends. And that was from Beard Dragoon, who said, yo, is Jatembe coming back? Um, And to that, I'd just say, if he were, that certainly would be the type of thing that we would make central to an adventure path, right? Yeah, or like a big book or something like that. So So, keep keep an eye out, but um, we have nothing further to announce at this time. Um, Next question! (laughs) Yes, let's go to the questions. Come on, come on. I'm not seeing any questions. Let's do it. Oh, they're making up questions. Um, what uh, to uh, uh, Linda and Luis? Is there something that uh, we've revealed in the last, you know, since we've launched Second Edition that has been sort of a secret that you've been particularly excited to see out in the public? Just been a big fan of kind of cementing in the resolutions for APs. I think that all those resolutions have led to bigger stuff happening in the, in the setting and making unrevealing they revealed some secrets and then just made a lot more questions happen so that's the kind of fun stuff that i like have been seeing in the books an uh, audio blip there so i didn't quite catch your question other than that it was addressed to me oh it was um just what sort of uh, big secret reveals that we've done since we launched second edition which what are some of you, which one of your favorites I mean, I definitely agree with Elise that uh, deciding what happened in all of the APs and revealing that is super exciting because that's sort of the showing the way that the characters who, that you've played through so many adventures have been able to progress the story. Uh, from the organized play standpoint, we do sort of progress things year over year. So I would say that I'm actually a little, I'm excited about what we're going to reveal, honestly, in um, this interactive special that we have coming up at Gen Con, um, the 200 King and Thorns, because we've really been building toward uh, more revelations about the founders of the Pathfinder Society. And uh, we've been able to do that too through some of the scenarios that we've had this season. So it's nice to, uh, it's interesting to to have these sorts of things where you realize, hey, you know, we had this campaign for 11 years, but we didn't talk about like, so what happened at the beginning? What are some of the basics of being a path? So from uh, from the society campaign standpoint, that's what I'm looking Cool. Got any questions okay, yet, Mark? So we're starting, yeah, we're starting to get some. Um, so uh, 
Ar- Arcadus or Ar- Archadus says, um, here's a secret that they've been wondering about, namely because of their homebrew that they're working on. What happened to the angel Tabris, author of the Chronicle of the Righteous, Concordance of Rivals, and Book of the Damned? James, you want to want to talk about um, that? I think you're probably closest to that subject. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, um, if there's a secret that we haven't revealed yet and you're you're picking up and running with those those storylines for a home campaign, the actual I mean, the best solution for what is going on there is your decision. You know, I mean, that's one of the big things I've always loved about RPGs is when there are like tantalizing hints or or, or anything that will inspire the GM to create a specialized story for their table. So don't be afraid to decide how Aridan died in your campaign, if that's important to your game. And, and same with Tabris. If you want to have him have a, a big reveal, um, feel free to, to build something that works for your group. And if we then later come out and say something different, um, that is no, that that's doesn't upset your world's canon. Your world is your world and, and we don't have the, the power to overwrite it. So um, now that said, uh, one of the things going on with Tabris is that he did indeed write the Book of the Damned and the Chronicle of Righteous and the Concordance of Rivals. And uh, he's sort of uh, been this long-standing mysterious figure as sort of like a, on one hand, like this unreliable narrator, but on the other hand, the only real, uh, you know, expert on a lot of these secrets of the, of the great beyond. And um, I'm not sure that we've actually decided in at Paizo what his status is. He's he's out there still. He he may be like imprisoned inside of this giant globe of like magic metal and stuff on Axis, I think is 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 maybe my preference, but um he he might be like cast adrift beyond the great beyond into whatever is past the abyss and all of that. He might be um I know that there's it, some there's some hints of that in the um in the in character quote sections of um, Concordance of Rivals. I know John yeah, Compton yeah. wrote some some stuff hinting at, at some of Tabris's fate. Um, yeah, in, John, in John is definitely uh, kind of, I, I would say John is the current expert and mastermind behind what's going on with Tabris. And uh, he's, yeah, uh, he and I West, talked about but, it. Uh, he did that control. Yeah. So, it's it's not quite yet set in stone. There's there's a lot of lines that he could that could like lead you to one solution or the other. But I I think I think at this point it's probably safest to you're probably pretty safe deciding what works best from the hints that we've laid for your campaign. And um, and hit up John uh, Compton like on his Ask Me Anything thread to get more hints. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a question from uh, Chandel, which is, will Shuni get further support beyond being in the back matter of an AP? Uh, Luis, do you uh, do you guys have any plans for uh, Shuni content in uh, in upcoming Lost Omens books? In the Ancestry Guide, things this things lined up in such a way that we didn't get Shuni included into the Ancestry Guide because we didn't know they were a thing until a bit further down the line when we were already getting that book and getting that book rolling. Uh, I think we could see enough of that. If we get enough people asking for it, we could definitely provide some support in there. I'm sure Patrick Patrick Reaney, who wrote those, would. I don't think we. I don't think we could. The people are gonna gonna catch on. I, <laughs> I just I don't believe it. I, I feel like if we, it wouldn't take much to twist Patrick's arm to get more out of more Shuni love out of him. So it's it's one of the things that we do is we we when we create something new for an adventure path or a book or something like that we're never 100 we, we have a i guess a pretty good idea of what people are going to like but we never know for sure like uh, that was that was why we introduced the anadi in uh, age of ashes you know it's like i think people are going to be into like spider people but i'm not sure and and so anadi and shuni have definitely had a lot of really 
they're they, they're proving pretty popular. So we'll probably do something with them at some point. But we plan our books out like a year in advance. So if once once like somebody sees what happens in a book, uh, it takes us a while to course correct. Paizo is like a big giant battleship that doesn't turn super quickly. Okay. Um, this is probably also a question for Luis um, from Ezekiru. Um, so what made you decide to make androids an ancestry versus a versatile heritage? A good chunk of that is the lore that is that we're grabbing from first edition and also wanting to maintain through to Starfinder. In Starfinder, they are a, a playable race. They're their own unique thing uh, that doesn't latch on to any other uh, existing races or ancestries. So we wanted to maintain that to also help maintain the um, the consistency with first edition stuff. Uh, specifically, androids, at least as we've presented them in Pathfinder, always resemble humans. We don't see anything like an elven android, dwarven android, anything like that. So making them their own specific ancestry uh, lets us maintain that and also give them more support in, in a bigger section with more feats and the like. Yeah, it's it's important to remember, too, that androids, since we debuted them as, as a... a as an ancestry in Pathfinder, even before Starfinder. Um, androids are not natives to Galarian. They were brought to Galarian from the spaceship that crashed in Numeria. And since they were created by this ancient human uh, civilization over, over well, well over uh, 10,000 years ago, uh, there were no elves or dwarves or, or halflings or anything on that planet that, uh, that they would even think to make android versions of itself. And the technology to create new androids uh, is... It's not something that just anybody can walk down the street and buy an Android gun and just boop, 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 squirt out some Androids. So, Well, where's the fun in that, James? Well, we got to leave doors open for like future products. We can we have like the Android gun handbook later on. Oh, okay. All right, good. Um, all right. Uh, da, 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 da. Any location-specific uh, lore from 2719 that we plan to put into an upcoming... Um, upcoming book you, I, I assume that that means similar to what we did with the um the canon endings of the ap's um i don't think we've got any of those planned i think you know the we didn't we didn't move the timeline forward in first edition for 12 years um the the well no that's not true i guess we moved it from for uh, 4707 to 47 11 11 yeah when, when the when the pathfinder um the inner sea world guide came out um but then we didn't really do any of that um that timeline uh stuff except in pathfinder society which really is its own self-contained timeline um we are going to continue uh, until we release second edition we're going to continue to do yeah. new adventures and storylines that build on you know events from the first edition era so yeah just keep an eye out uh we're, we might yeah, be actually we'll, talk about some of that in the, in the uh, adventures seminar which comes out like at two o'clock i think the um the Pathfinder Society guide does include some things that um are some forty seven twenty things in them and sort of it'll be it'll be concurrent up to that point in time so that we will be able to use some of the stuff that we established in this foundational year. Um as as a baseline for future content. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. But but in terms of, of adventure paths, um, you know, we we wanna let people play those in in whatever order they want and so we don't want to um uh, to make one of them obsolete from a canon perspective um before and you'll actually we really see that too 
with the, the three adventure paths we did on the Isle of Cortos, we've taken uh, pains to make sure that um, Extinction Curse and Agents of Edgewatch and the recently announced uh, Abomination Vaults, they're all on the Isle of, Isle of Cortos. And they do kind of the events happen in chronological order, but they don't really overlap. So you don't go to Absalom except for in one adventure path. You don't really go to the town of Atari except for one adventure path. So it's it's sort of a an evolution of how we did things in first edition where we just made sure not to overlap ourselves and force ourselves to do sequels. So I mean, it's it, it's like the first three APs in in. Um... Uh, first edition even all... before first edition yeah, yeah the the um the three in varicia could happen in any order but it's they basically happen simultaneously yep. um yep. Uh, okay okay um then that person you may know says uh do you have any hints as to what may be in skywatch in bravoy i think that all the hints we've got to that we've published i i don't know of anyone who's put their thumb on that as a um uh you know their their little pet uh, pet project yeah. that they hope to reveal stuff about, but I could be wrong. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of know, people working on on Pathfinder these days. So yeah. uh, there's not a lot in a Kingmaker. The the upcoming Kingmaker book does have a little bit more Brevoy stuff going on there, but it's mostly focused on like Rosslyn, the rest of the Sword Lord stuff. I don't know if there was, and more... it's also still set in in forty seven ten, right? It's not uh, any advances that we've done with Skywatch would not of, have been reflected. Yeah. Nebulous Which past is... time. Which actually has been kind of a weird sort of, I'm developing the Kingmaker uh, book right now, and we've had a lot of new content written by, I think, Legendary Games uh, hired, I think, two dozen or more people. Um, I think you were working on it for them, right, Linda? Yeah. Cool. Um, one of the things that some people have done is, is they, I guess, know the Pathfinder and Paizo and Galarian lore, and they've started, they've, there's like throw mentions of Oprak in there, and it's like, well, that isn't a thing for another 10 years. So it's, it's there's a weird sort of and it's kind really of time bomb from thing. the River Kingdom. Well, it, it made sense in context, you know, but it was still, there's like these weird sort of time traveling time bombs I have to keep an eye out for developing something that's set in the past, even just 10 years in the past. It's why we don't do time travel adventure paths, mm-hmm. except for that one. <laughs> well, that one was, um, okay. the whole point of that one was for time travel, yeah. And it was yeah. Um, okay, and then we've uh, yeah. It looks like we've got we have a, a few questions. One from Zerg Titan ninety nine. One from Armor um, about whether we have any regional meta books similar to you know about the meta regions um, coming coming soon. Um, I mean the the City of Lost Omens book is really sort of that about the um, you know the the Isle of Lost Omens, yeah. the whole Isle it's, of Portos, not just the city of Absalom. Um, the bulk of that book does focus but, on Absalom itself, but yeah, it's 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 pretty much the region book for for the the Starstone Isle. And uh, um, I mean, setting up those ten zones that we did the way we did was specifically to allow us to cover more parts of the world rather than having because it's a lot easier to in theory it's a lot easier to do ten books rather than forty seven books. So yeah, I I would definitely keep an eye on on our uh, coming uh, coming soon stuff but there's nothing that we've announced yet beyond that but it's definitely something we're interested in doing and let us know which regions you're um, really interested in exploring yeah i was just going to say the same thing let us let us know um gloomfall asks uh who built the planetary gates and where does the currently non-functional gate on octurn go uh does anyone I know you're talking about the, the, the iodara um so in Galarian, elves are aliens from another planet, and they built this this Iodar network of, of interplanetary portals that 
connect a bunch of different, they connect Castrovel to uh, Galarian. They go to other places. It's explored a bit more in Starfinder as well. We do a bit about the Iodara stuff in Age of Ashes. Most of that is focused on um, uh, continental, like like planetary bound portals, but they do go into other realms, other planets, other other um, all over the place. And um, I don't know that we've got any plans immediately to start exploring that content, uh, but I do know that we're kicking around some potential other planetary elements in the unannounced future for Pathfinder. That's about all I can say about that without getting yelled at by Mr. Mona. Who I think is is in the in the chat right now. At least he was Oh before. geez, let me um, look over here. Yeah, no, you're being watched. Um, yeah, Linda Linda did just use one of the portals. She's she's checking up on the other side. Yeah, she disappeared. Time. Linda, are you still there or did we lose was it just oh, yeah, the yeah, that we I'm lost? Still okay. here. I had a uh, had a minor technical glitch I had to fix with some wires, so I figured no problem. No problem. Everything's good on Octurn though. In the background. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um so here's a, a question from Zerg Titan 99, which is more hypothetical. So um, setting aside any knowledge that we may have of potential books we're doing in the future, if you could pick one region of Galarian um, that you'd like to explore um, and do like a deep dive, big multi-hundred page volume um, of in the Lost Omens line, what would it be? Linda, we'll start with you. Oh gosh. Um, well, I think that, um, and this may be this may be partially my uh, my bias from coming into Pathfinder and GMing uh, very heavily through the uh, accounts adventure path. But it, and I, I would really like to see more about uh, about that general region and the developments in Ravenel with the Hell's Rebels adventure path. It seems like it's it's such a a, a great. Uh, setting for change and transformation and the striving for liberty and the tension society. So old Cheliacs would be your region. Yeah. Okay. All right. Luis. This is uh, making me pick between my babies here. Uh, I think <laughs> it's a three-way tie. And if I had to pick one, I will pick one. But, There's only 10 uh, regions. That's only, Well, I love them very much. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm particular to the Eye of Dread, um, specifically because of Ustalab, but I also would love to see what's going on with all the uh the shakeups there all the recent uh bad times that have been going on there uh the golden road is just the, my very first ap was actually legacy of fire so it's just very near and dear to my heart catapesh in particular so just seeing all the golden road is great and also it's just a different type of fantasy than you're used to with the standard medieval western european fantasy uh and then the other place i would definitely try to go toward it is the Mongi expanse for for similar reasons it's just really interesting and we have vidrian there which is a new nation and, and showing the shakeups there would be cool if i had to absolutely pick i'd probably go with the golden road okay and james what about you um I'd be tempted to do uh, the Sagalands just because I'm such a, I mean, Barissia is sort of my, my, my focus, my favorite. I, I mean, I almost did a, like a 320 page book just on Sandpoint. So there's a lot still there in the Sagalands that I, I could explore, but I think that's already been covered a lot. So if I were to pick one, I would probably pick the high seas and 98% of that book would be on medieval Galti Island and it would be the red <laughs> mantis book. And then I would uh, spearhead a, a evil adventure path where everybody's a red mantis assassin and you're fighting to uh, stop uh, Raha doom. That's my, that's my okay. secret plan, which I don't know if we'll ever do it because evil adventure paths are, are tricky. Or no, we what about did, you, Mark? Um, um, oh, geez. I think probably the impossible lands. Um, I just, I really love the, um, 
the just storytelling potential in a place where um, the bar is set so high uh, for for magic level and just the weird and wahoo um, that uh, while I like like a good you know Tolkien inspired a traditional fantasy story um, the you know just wild uh, you know China Mieville style craziness that we, that you could do in Nex or Gav or um, uh, John Murray is just too tempting uh, to not, uh, to not want to play with. So um, cool. that's, that's where I would, I would, I would probably go. It's um, always difficult for us to answer questions like this because since we're the ones that decide which books we're going to do um, it's, it's, and we already know what we're doing in the future. We kind of have to tread lightly around it. But at the same point, since we're all Paizo employees, people are like desires and wishes and stuff tend to have more weight. So, but it's yeah. still stuff. I mean, yeah. we absolutely have places we'd well, like to I mean, do stuff. I with. guess people know that we're not going to do a book about the three of ten regions that we didn't mention between the four of us. So, unless we're um, deliberately misdirecting you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sleight <laughs> of hand. Mm. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Sleight of hand is not a skill anymore. We can't use that. Well, not if we're playing a first edition game, James. Ooh, now mm -hmm. see, now people think we're going back to first edition. Anything's possible. We are in Kingmaker. <laughs> I mean, there's still those pocket editions. Yes, um, that's true. And pocket editions. There you go. There you go. Um, uh, James, this is a question for you uh, uh, oh. from the real Zal. Barzillai Throne sister, Narcelia Throne. Care to tell us a bit more about her? <laughs> wow, that's a deep dive. Um. There's not a lot more really to tell about her, honestly. Um, with Hell's Rebels, uh, Barzillai Throne, for those who don't recognize the name, he's the main bad guy in Hell's Rebels. He's a uh, sort of uh, black sheep of the family of the Thrones uh, sent to Ravenel to you know control it, bring it under heel and all that. And um, most of the Avenger path has him being front and center as a bad guy. You encounter him multiple times. And uh, he's got a lot of, uh, of issues and like, uh, uh, things that he's he's working through and that have made him the person that he is, and one of them is uh, his relationship with his sister, which didn't really play into a lot of the adventure path until the last adventure path. A little bit of spoilers here, where you go to hell and um, you kind of get to do sort of this exploration of his his life and track and and see some of the things that made him who he was, why he is why he's such an awful person, and not necessarily as a method for you to redeem him because uh by that point he's he's kind of beyond redemption but as a way for you to um just kind of understand why the adventure path went the way it did and, and so forth and so on and um his sister is in there and that's largely uh something that amber scott uh, started picking up on to i believe but it was never really a big element other than um there is throughout Barzilai's character he's 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 very uncomfortable and afraid of, of women in power and it, his sister his, is a character that he's i mean there's, there's always like these family bonds that you have but also he's he's sort of afraid and he's he hates that he's afraid and uh, yeah I, I don't really have much more to say about it other than what was in the adventure to uh, tell the truth yeah i mean that's she's a she's a pretty fringe character um yeah and a lot of times with those unless they're someone's pet character like shenson or someone like mm -hmm. that um there's they, nothing fringe uh, about I mean, someone's pc yeah. No, she's she's the star of the Band of Bravos. Um, that uh, a lot of times, what we have in print is is what exists for them because they were invented to fill a certain narrative role within a, a given a given adventure, or a given story, and and that's sort of where they end. Which means yep. they can be whatever you want them to be in your campaign. Yep. Um, Linda, maybe this is a question for you. Um, from uh, Caneblade eighty three. Um, are there plans to? 
explore Ayabaria more with the next society year specifically? Will we be exploring it outside of society play, maybe in an adventure, Lost Omens Guide, or write up? Uh, do you know of of any um, any any ways that that's going to be explored beyond um, the adventures that are set there? In, in um, I don't think we have any uh, plans specifically because I think this is actually a question. It seems like more for you guys because certainly um, Ayobari is going to be central to this coming uh, to this coming year, the year of corruption's reach in Pathfinder society. One of the one of the interesting things about Ayobaria um, is it's one of those places where it's it was in a a back matter article of the original Kingmaker AP, but other than that. It really hadn't gotten explored very much, which was part of what made it so appealing for us on the organized play to to look at, hey, this is a place that we haven't really done that much with as a company. And so it's really a place that would allow us to, to portray the Pathfinder Society as um, as trailblazers in exploring a place that that has had a lot of a lot of cataclysms in its past that isn't very heavily settled. That's mainly looking at what it, and looking at the looking at the past of and as well as a lot of the present dangers that are brewing. Um, so do you? I don't know. Does there anything in the um, in the Kingmaker books that touches more on that? Uh, not really. It's um, there's a little tiny bit in uh, Barnhold Vanishing, but it's nothing. There's nothing in um, the Kingmaker book that hasn't already been in Kingmaker. And in fact, there's less because we're not reprinting the uh, Ayabaria Gazetteer that we published in the original Kingmaker Adventure Path. Um, part of the um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Linda, but I think part of the the goal of what drives um, organized plays decisions on where to set seasons is is areas that you will have room to to tell the stories that you want to need to tell without having to orchestrate. It's really, really difficult to um, have cross like a, a story that touches um, on the adventure path line and the novel line and the org play line. We tried and uh, the rules line. We tried that with wrath of the righteous, for example. And it was, it was really, it, we spent a lot of extra time that we could have spent making, you know, I, for me, for sure, making a wrath of the righteous as the adventure path more, more solid uh, because we had to um, orchestrate between different departments and all of that. So, yeah, I think the, uh, the approach that we went with, with um, sinking a few plot lines into, uh, into war for the crown and um, the adventure uh, reavers roar, uh, and which came about basically because um, uh, one of the people working on Tyrant's Grasp, I, I think that may have been uh, Ron who asked this, said, hey, you know, there's this creature that's in this place, but we need the creature to be dead. Can Pathfinder Society handle it? So uh, um, those types of crossovers. It's that... almost like an actual adventure captain's assignment, which is go kill this creature for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the I, parallelism I there is, of, uh... is fun. <laughs> Those sorts of crossovers are probably what you're more likely to see is like the Pathfinder Society is involved in setting something up that um, that can then that so that the adventure path follows up on it. Or uh, the, another thing that happened in Tyrant's Grasp was the uh, was that there was this this delightful moment where the uh, the PCs go over the PCs are transported somewhere far away, shall we say? And um, there's this mention that oh, you know, meanwhile the Pathfinder Society does something heroic here. And that was the uh, inspiration for the entire uh, Year of Rotting Ruin, the current uh, Pathfinder Adventure Card Society. Okay, all right. Um, earlier, Luis talked about Kevath Cole. Any specifics you'd like to reveal there, uh, Luis? Kevath Cole is 
one of the figures featured in Lost Omens Legends. So if you want to learn more about him, you can read that. Uh, we specifically have resolved what happened with Iron Gods um, and stated what Kevoth Cool is up to afterwards. The assumption is that he didn't get killed by PCs. Maybe it turns out the PCs were a little more heroic and maybe spared him. Um, and you get to figure out what he's up to now, especially now that he's off the Numerian fluids. He's Supposedly. Up- Supposedly, he he seems to be a little more clear-headed at this point, um, and you get to learn about him, what he's doing, how he's uh, maybe trying to clean up what's left of the Technic League, and he does have some of the rules content that's featured in that book. He has uh, a cool weapon that is his his sword that if for whatever reason you decide to go fight him and take him down, hey, you can claim the sword, uh, or if you win his... Um, uh, if you become an ally of his or, or win him over, he might provide you with some of his brand new material that he's created. It's it's this um, alloy of his own concoction that he's built with the the people that work in his uh, palace uh, that he calls uh, Kevath Steel, I believe. I'll, I'll double check here, but I, he basically takes um, some sky metal, mixes it with some other stuff, and creates a a new alloy out of it. Uh, what could you, go wrong? Oh, he calls it Sovereign Steel, excuse me, of course, because oh, he's, he's the Black Sovereign. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have Sovereign Steel weapons and armor and stuff if you uh, pick up that book. One of the things I really like about Kamath uh, Cool is that um, he's, uh, he's the, I mean, he can easily be the antagonist of an, a campaign. I mean, he's like a barbarian king. He's he's all about, like, barbarianing your, your, your towns and all of that. But he's also in a region where he's not nearly the, the most dangerous or most evil or most you know destructive element out there, you know, with all of the crazy, weird technology, fragments of the Technic League, perhaps, um, uh, you know, that's it's it's he's an interesting character in that you could go either direction with. And uh, even like in a, I can see in a party, some people would want to beat him up. Some people want to you know, hang out with him. Hey, um, from Darth Kristoff, uh, what Van Kaskerkin or Van Kaskerkins are in Lost Omens Legends? Is <laughs> it isn't a Galarian oh panel without a Van Kaskerkin question? So, uh, oh my god! So, uh, if, so, if we wanted to include all the Van Kaskerkins we wanted to, it would be Lost Omens Guide to the Van Kaskerkins, I think. <laughs> yeah, which is not a bad idea. Uh, we do have more Van Kaskerkin stuff coming up. Uh, so by the end of the year, I think you'll see another Van Kaskerkin bouncing around out there. Um, Certainly next year. Yeah. I had to, at one point, when I was working on uh, Return of the Rune Lords, I threw another Van Kaskerkin in there. And um, I, I, at that point, that was the first time with Return of the Rune Lords that I sat down and tried to figure out a, a family tree. And it's not so much a family tree as it is like a family plate of spaghetti. Um, because we've said in one book that... I think Varric has brothers, and in another book we've said that uh, his father has only ever had one son, and um, we figured it out. You were involved in that, weren't you, Mark? It was it. it yeah, it was you. It was you, me, and and uh, Daigle. Um, that's right. And, and, and the, probably the clutch... spent an hour with your whiteboard trying to figure yeah. it all out. I've still got it all written down. And the, the clutch move was the, basically uh, one of Saul's brothers was married to a woman that Saul then like stole away. So there's a woman out there who was married to two different Van Kaskerkins. So there's kind of two different Van Kaskerkin family lines. Um, one of them did end up- and the, going... common, and the common thread there is the the wife, I guess, and then a generation up with Saul yeah. and, and his brother's father. Uh, they definitely did. Some of those Van Kaskerkins absolutely did head toward Absalom. So take that as you it will. It seems natural. Yeah. 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 
I saw actually Fox gloves in Absalom. So why wouldn't there be Van Kesker? That's true. I I was glancing over one point to uh, uh, just check out the chat and there. I saw a question that I wanted to drop a a prize in. Uh, Somebody asked about conqueror worms. They're these creatures from Best Series 6, the first edition Best Series 6, these giant sort of mind controlling maggot monsters that live underneath the ground or behind the scenes and control puppet nations. Uh, The question I think was asking, uh, are there any on Galarian? There are. my kind of when I was working on the Conqueror Worm, because the whole the whole reason I put the Conqueror Worm into um, uh, Bessery Six was because it's a phrase that uh, for now I'm it's still early in the morning for me. Um, uh, I think it's from Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, it's just a phrase that is just so creepy and and spooky sounding that I had to put it in there. And since I was already thinking sort of this uh, kind of Edgar Allan Poeish element to it, um, my mind started going to Ustalov that there might be a conqueror worm lurking behind the scenes in Ustalov. But then I realized that there's a perfect place for a conqueror worm to be pulling the strings and that's Galt. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we find out that there is a conqueror worm in Galt. And that's why that uh, revolution violence has been going on so long. It's been manipulated behind the scenes by a, like a level 23 worm. Anyway, All right. back to Mark. More that's questions. new information for me. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. Uh, I think conqueror worm is also a movie. It's, um, I think a Vincent it's, Price movie. Yeah, based on it's 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 uh, based on the Poe, right? Yeah, Roger Corman did a whole bunch of Edgar Allan Poe movies, and he was a big fan of like taking two or three lines from Edgar Allan Poe, making that and into making a, movie. a completely different movie. Well, and then like basing it on H.P. Lovecraft or other writers. Yeah. It's, it's, anyway, yeah. Turns out Poe's pretty good at coming up with neat phrases. Um, okay, uh, I'm trying to catch up on the the um, the questions. So if if any of you like James um, see a question that you feel like answering, um, feel free to to interject. Um, uh, Here's one from uh, Severin Laureate. Um, can you tell us anything about the ancestries hinted at in the Lost Omens World Guide? The Galoma Shisks or the uh, Conrasu? Luis, do you have... Um... Well, uh, they each have one sentence, and that's all <laughs> we know at this point. Thank you, James Sutter. Um, I think we'd love to get those in very soon, just because th- those are such compelling names that we immediately latched onto them, and obviously the fans have noticed them and said, we want to know more about this. And Eleanor They did and I... exactly what they were supposed to do, which <laughs> yeah. was yep. be very fertile uh, brain fodder. Uh, um, Eleanor and I immediately like looked at each other and said, we want to know what these are too. So I think we're going to try our best to, to get them in. They're not in the Ancestry Guide, but that doesn't mean they can't show up in other Lost Omens books in the future. There, there's no dedicated... Or an AP. I mean, we've, yeah. we've shown with the with the Shuni that we can put um, an Ancestry in, in other product lines as well. Yeah. There's not any uh, maybe not a designated... Pathfinder Society scenario, but you never know. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. That, that would be a long uh, chronicle sheet, I think. <laughs> uh, there's no designated Ancestry spots in any of our lines, yeah. really. So they can kind of show up wherever we think they, they will best fit. One of the things that... Uh... I really beat the drum a lot about when we're picking like which ancestries we want to make up for player characters is um, I'm not a fan of just like randomly inventing brand new races out of the blue and saying suddenly now they're a player character option because that suddenly if I were to say there was a, like a, a, um, a turtle race called the Torpenors or whatever. 
and that they live here and there and it, it, there's no gravity to them they just don't have a legacy in this in the setting and having them be player character options suddenly you have a bunch of player characters who don't really have anything to look at in uh our books to get more information about these creatures other than you know uh, some feats and, and it's it's just frustrating and so um that's and but at the same point we want to do brand new ancestry so what we james sutter is really great at just dropping in names like that i mean he's he's the guy that brought us the yasoki he you know the contemplators of um pretty much anything at, yeah he's he's actually he's just brilliant at that type of stuff and so um dropping those in just as name drops to see if they stick and, and get people's attention and they do for sure yeah now if we do something with them even though they've only got one sentence in a book there's there's a legacy that makes them feel like they're part of galarian rather than just a a random here's something that yeah i mean if we can if we can add the shuni out of the blue um to to uh, up up uh, you know uproarious applause um then um I, I imagine if we were to um, delve deeper into some of the things that have been hinted at previously, uh, yeah. they would be well received. So we'll probably do those at some point. Um, let's see. Um, Rowan Lobos says, any chance that there will be new novels in the coming year? That's a uh, question for you, Mark. It is. It is. I figured <laughs> I was asking you guys questions, so I would field one that was in my purview. Um, we would love to see novels. Um in the next year um probably not uh at this point we have our schedule pretty much locked for all of 2021 and we're already talking about early 2022 products so um for us to add a novel there when we don't have an active novel line is not um not likely but uh you know when the when the novel line or when our when our uh, relationship with uh, with Tor uh, as a licensee publishing our novels ended. We did have a number of books that were in progress. Um, that means that uh, potentially, if we were to get um, a novel line back up and running, uh, we would uh, we we might be able to pick some of those up and and uh, and already be halfway toward the goal line of getting those first few out. Um, but we don't currently have a viable business plan to release those. Um, you know, there's a reason that we stopped publishing them ourselves, and then there's a reason that Tor decided it wasn't um, in their uh, best interest to, to to keep publishing them either. So uh, it's a tough time for uh, tie-in novels, and uh, uh, I've taken it on sort of as my personal mission to try and get more fiction out there. I think it's good for the brand, uh, for people to be able to read stories that have protagonists as opposed to just read adventures where the PCs are the protagonists. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, the the fiction on the blogs um, is really the extent of what fiction we have planned, but that could change, um, you know, and if we're not doing um, print publications, if it's web-based or something like that, then then maybe we could get get larger content um, up within the next year. But I I would um, I would say perhaps set your sights a little further than the next twelve months um, for that. Just from a logistical standpoint, where the, that ship has largely already sailed. Um, but we want them, and we want Starfinder novels, and we want you know we we want to do them. We just have to figure out a way to do it where we're not just throwing money away because we do still have a business. Um, uh, uh, Golemites asks, are androids vegan? Nope. Are they, are none of them vegan? Is veganism a thing in Galarian? Uh, probably. I mean, are, are, are Leshies vegan? I mean, can you eat a Leshie? Leshies should be carnivore. Leshies, I mean, they should be I mean, Leshies, like, 
Fleshies, a lot of them are photosynthetic. Oh, well, that helps that's them a cop keep... out. Yeah, no, like no, cannibalism okay. cop out. They need to eat nothing but meat. Um, oh, that's well, only I mean, fair. If you're, if you're a fungus slushy, then I they're anti vegetarian. Yeah, well, if you're a fungus slushy, oh, then I mean, you're, you're digesting all sorts of yeah. I guess fly yeah. trap fleshies eat meat. Oh, yeah, fly yeah, there you go. Yeah, fly trap fly fleshies. Yeah, it's really based on the uh, it's really based on the plant on what type of the okay, okay, yeah. all right, just that's like fair. with any person, some of them are vegan, some eat yeah. flies. Yeah, mm, flies. Okay. Um. Kogaru says uh, to convert properly to 2e, many old APs could use a seventh adventure to bring players to 20th level. Uh, Kingmaker is doing that. Which uh, first edition APs would you like to see a book seven developed for? I assume this is which would you like to see as a um, completely um, mental exercise because... Sometimes things that we say we would like to see, people assume we're doing, mm -hmm. and we're we have no plans for that. Um, I don't know. I personally, um, I would love to see, um, especially now that we know um, sort of what has happened with the Technic League and and Cassandly in the wake of um, Iron Gods. I'd really love to see uh, a follow up to Iron Gods where the PCs get to actually play. Um, uh, a larger role in some in determining how some of that all falls into place instead of leaving it um as a you know a, a, a open-ended thread like it is at the at the end of the ap in terms of what's going to happen with cassandalia and, and the technique so um that that would be my pick um james I, you you worked on all those i i would like to do i'm i'm making no secret of this i'd like to do second darkness i think that's the first adventure path we did that uh, had some significant um, miscalculations in how we we presented the information, and um, there was a lot of things that I'd like to I like to. There's a gap between the first two adventures and the third adventure that we intentionally put in there to let GMs build their own adventure, and that didn't go over well. That missing adventure would be a great place to transition the player characters from like running a, a gambling house over to being uh, uh, helping fight against this this nefarious drow plot. Um, and I'd also like to redo how we handled Kionan. And that one, there was a lot going on at that time. We were launching the Pathfinder RPG and uh, we were handling the uh, the emotional trauma of, you know, realizing that we were no longer going to be able to do D&D linked product because Dungeons and Dragons was moving to fourth edition and we were kind of deciding to go the other direction. So there was a lot on my mind at that time. And a lot of uh, the direction that happened, and we had a couple of, we had like authors in the last half had to bail at the last minute and get a new, Brian Cortillo came in, basically wrote that last adventure in like three weeks uh, to step in for somebody that had to leave for personal reasons. And uh, as a result of all of those distractions, the way we presented elves and that, that uh, fifth adventure really felt too much like Tolkien and Dungeons and Dragons with them not actually in, in Tolkien and D and D I've always thought elves acted more lawful neutral. They're very rigid in their traditions. They don't really, you know, do much, uh, uh, things that are fun or whimsical. And I, I, I wanted to have the elves be more friendly and uh, likable. So there's a lot of stuff I, I could see us doing to adjust and, and update and, uh, course correct on second darkness. Um, the, concept that we have to add a seventh adventure in order to get to 20th level is is false um the reason you'll notice that the adventures that we publish in um uh, second edition they're they're still the same size as the ones we published in first edition the reason we can now go to 20th level is because the design team was able to rebuild the experience progression so that in the course of six volumes you can get to 20th level so it wouldn't be a case of of adding a new adventure to get to that higher level 
uh, it would be a case of re, you know, rebalancing things so that you start at first level and then the last adventure ends at 20th level. And and I'm seeing proof of that in, in developing Kingmaker by adding uh, what is essentially two one or maybe even two adventures worth of content. If you if your party does everything possible in this Kingmaker um, update, you're going to hit 20th level before you even get to what is the, the the sixth book. There's so much content in there, and that's kind of the the goal of a of a sandbox. But um, anyway, that's sort of a rambling question answer. Second darkness. Okay, um, I had some delay before, and so I I assume that now I'm. All caught up with others are saying, and I'm not speaking over yep. anyone. Okay. All right. Um, next question. Um, Linda, this is probably for you, maybe for Luis. Um, from Lava Being, uh, will many of the developments from uh, first edition organized play be finalized and written into the setting canon? Um, I'm curious about the status of the Hauge, uh, of the Haugen Tapestry um, and the Ruby Phoenix herself. Uh. Oh. <laughs> Would you like to speak to the the Ruby Phoenix? Sure. Uh, she is another one of the figures featured in Lost Omens Legends. So you get to see how she's doing and what she's been up to uh, in her past and very, very recently, uh, as well as have some uh, cool magic items available through her section. So if you want to learn what she's up to, she's still around and, and we explain some of that in her section. Uh, as for the... Uh, these updates on the 1e content i think you can speak to that yeah certainly so um like uh like james said earlier the uh, pathfinder society does update canon year over year to based on the past adventures we we once we go into a new season we're assuming that all the stuff in that past season happened and we'll have scenarios that build off of like it might be one month scenario builds on the next month scenario and things like that and uh, as far as the the arc of the things that happened um, throughout first edition, a lot of that is solidified in the um, in the Lost Omens Pathfinder Society guidebook. There is a history of the Pathfinder Society type section that goes through recent history and talks about a lot of those major developments. And uh, so we also see, just re- oh, it's the canonical oh, end. Oh, we also uh, just uh, recently announced uh, next year uh, one of the adventure paths we're doing. Uh, we're doing two adventure paths in the first part of the year uh, through two three part adventure paths. And uh, in the second one we're doing is Fists of the Ruby Phoenix, and that's a adventure path that starts at 11th level and goes to 20th level. And it's been 10 years since in world, 10 years since the last Ruby Phoenix tournament. And uh, Fists of the Ruby Phoenix uh, are going to it's it's more than just a fighting competition adventure path. There's a lot more going on in there, including a lot of content with Haojin and so forth. So uh, by this time next year, you'll have a lot more information about her. Um, okay. Um, hmm. uh, I'm seeing someone, uh, Twisted Leo, is asking if we answered any questions regarding Razmir. Um, maybe I scrolled past them. I don't recall any questions about Razmir. So if there's a specific question folks have about Razmir, um, uh, repeat it in the in the chat here so I can I can uh, grab that. Um, also check out Lost Omens Legend, which features Razmir as well. Hey, there you go. And I, I will say that that uh, Razmir made a secret appearance in something we released um, within the last uh, year and a half that uh, folks um, may not know about. But uh, yeah, go um, go reread everything that we have released in the last uh, eighteen uh, months. last sixteen eighteen months. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, and and let me know. Yeah, what um, what you think uh, what you think it is because uh, that Razmir is sneaky. Yes. Um, 
James, uh, the real Zal says we've had various hints about her plots in a few different books, but what was Nocticula's game plan for ascending to full deity status? Um, it was basically uh, wanting something more than just being a demon. You know, if you're a demon lord, uh, it's pretty much just hide out in your 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 realm and just there's there's more to there's more she wanted more than just being a monster basically and um there's whether or not it, it was her idea or uh the heretical worshipers of her as the redeemer queen that gave her the idea or time traveling pcs from uh return of the rune lords going back in time ten thousand years and worshiping her as the redeemer queen uh there's a lot of different potential triggers that would want that would basically want her to become something more than just you know a, a succubus queen and that was kind of the whole plan for her from the start in my head was that i wanted to show that a demon can uh escape being a demon and uh it just took a little bit longer to get that story out in print than i maybe wanted it to but but yeah that's that's the basic basic goal there um she it, yeah she just wanted to be something less cliched okay so we don't we don't know about her um her actual final act of ascension like what oh oh the actual point at which she turned from yeah, what was what was uh, yeah. the equivalent to her test of the star stone, or what was the thing that that flipped that switch between being a it's, demon it's, lord and being a full deity? It's uh, uh, Return of the Rune Lords. There's a lot of time travel stuff going on uh, with um, uh, Rune Lord Elasmus tampering with the timeline and messing with things, and and uh, Rune Lord Sorshin waking up and realizing that every other Rune Lord has woken up and has done, basically not changed their game plan and has done the same thing has been put down by adventurers. So Sorshin realizes pretty much immediately that this is a new world and she's got to change her ways in order to not get destroyed by adventurers. Um, and Sorshin has always had sort of this sort of, she doesn't really worship Nocticula as much as Caesar is like maybe an, an inspiration or something like that, I guess. Um, but with all of the time traveling and uh, uh, elements in that, the basic, my basic idea is, is that while I can't say which characters your particular group has, in my head canon, one of the player characters that plays through uh, Return of the Rune Lords worships Nocticula as the Redeemer Queen. And when that character goes back in time to Thassalon to, you know, fix the, the damage to the timeline, they're still worshiping Nocticula. And for a, you know, a demigod or a deity, time doesn't necessarily work the way. So at that point, that player character worshiper of Nocticula from the, the present has inspired her 10,000 years in the past to basically say, hey, if you do this, you're going to become even more powerful than you are now. If you say a demon lord, you're not going anywhere. So that's kind of the, the um, my preferred canonical reason for why she did that. Um, it's it's not something I I was able to really hard code into the adventure path itself, of course, because I can't make assumptions about what player characters you're playing. Time travel messes things up or fixes things. Yes. If Doctor yes. Who has taught us anything, it is that uh, you can both mess up and fix things uh, by doing time travel. I don't know who uh, you're talking about, Mark. I know. But Eric is in the chat and he knows. Oh, he knows. Dang. Um, Risky90 uh, says, uh, will we see more of a Razni soon? Uh, not soon, but yes, she's, okay. she's a character that, um, I mean, it's, it's similar to the storyline with Nocticula. I've, I've, I've wanted her to be a 
character who um, kind of got a lot of her agency taken away from her, but then got it back and, and not necessarily gets revenge or all that, but that one even got even more kind of lost in the reads and um, with uh, work uh, with, from Crystal in Tyrant's Grasp and also with uh, Louise and uh, Eleanor, um, her storylines going in, in some really cool new directions that uh, are still, still, we didn't want to rush it basically. So, I don't know if yeah, Louise, we, we don't want to resolve all of her her plot lines now. We've just sort of set a new string of them Direction. in motion, right? Like we want to give them time to play out. Um, that makes sense. But I think definitely, you know, as the one who advocated for doing stuff in the Impossible Lands, I can't see us um, doing that. And then, you know, we will eventually. Um, you know, it's we'll we'll touch all the regions at some point. Um, I can't imagine us doing that without also addressing that because she's so intrinsically tied to Geb. Um, so uh, not soon, but um, but down the road, I will definitely do more with her. I, I, I know. Um, okay, we're get, we're wrapping it up. We're getting um, close to the end. We've got about five more minutes. Um, uh, Q Alchemist says, I noticed that the goblin hero gods weren't in Gods and Magic. Are they gone? No. I don't know. It just that book um, just isn't big enough, unfortunately, to fit in everything that we ever. We can't reprint every single deity uh, and pantheon in there. Unfortunately, we had to. We had a huge list going into it and had to cut so many just even from that chart in the back. So they're in a nice little file, ready to be uh, put into a different spot where it makes more sense for them. And also uh, with us putting goblins in as player characters, um, I didn't want to somehow just magically say just because we decided players can play goblins that the goblin uh, pantheon is suddenly not evil. They're still evil, awful, you know, gods of drowning and puppy killing. And uh, until we're at a place where goblins as player characters is more, I guess, less or is, is less fraught, um, we're going to kind of keep them in the back. Let go, let the goblins start worshiping uh, Caden, Kaelian, and Desna, and Aurori, and Gosray. And... More questions. Don't waste our last few minutes, Mark. Speaking of Gosray, yeah, uh, speaking of Gosray, um, uh, Twisted Leo says, any chance of toys for clerics serving neutral gods like Gosray? All these alignment spells make me sad. Well, in Gosray's example uh, specifically, uh, he's a god of nature and animals and stuff like that. He's not really, it doesn't make sense for him to have a neutral uh, bunch of neutral magic. He's the one that should be giving out like you know, animals and plant themed stuff. Same with Nethys, rather than give out like neutral themed stuff for Nethys, he just gets more magic, you know, than, than other deities. So there's not really, I mean, we did include some neutral themed stuff in, um, in planar adventures late in first edition, but uh, the second edition setup with the way like damages and alignments and all that work, it's not really, I don't know that there's a lot of design space. I could be wrong. Also the uh, APG and future books will just have more material that's applicable applicable to neutral clerics and stuff so yeah just gotta give it more time um crazy stitch 519 says path of the hell knight mentioned something about zonkathon maybe being a secret sixth member of the god claw what's up with that uh that's uh wes schneider dropping in a, a a teaser and then leaving the company and not telling anybody else what he was planning. So I would <laughs> I would categorize that as um, as propaganda, in world propaganda. Uh, the thing with the thing with um, the thing with something like the God Claw and a Pantheon is that pantheons are are invented by those who worship them. It's not like the gods get together and like let's make a secret pantheon and then then have people worship us under that thing. That's not really the way pantheons work. So if there was going to be a a Zonkuthon enhanced God Claw um branch it would be up to the worshipers just maybe there's one worshiper out there that's like i know john Kathan is the manipulator behind the scenes maybe that's not that's also not his mo um 
no, Asmodeus would be way more likely to do propaganda. Um, yeah. Uh, Zon Kuthan is very straightforward and he's like, I will he's play also, your skin off and you will like it. Um, he's also one of the few so, deities on I, the entire planet know. that has uh, an entire nation. Uh, so, uh, any more questions out there? Or? This one really quick that I'm seeing in chat. People are asking if the sprite ancestry is going to be uh, tiny or small because pixies are small. Um, Pixies All right, we've got what, what looks are... here like it's probably a good last question. Master Stroke says, hmm. um, for people new to... Oh, no, can you hear me now? Am I better? Oh, boy, oh, okay. Mark's gone. So, Mark, Mark drop. Mm -hmm. I'll just finish answering that really quick. Uh, Mark... they, they are tiny for the most part, except pixies are particular heritage that are small. Tiny oh, sprites. Welcome back, Mark. Rules about hello. Uh, hello. That. Did I make it back? Did I return? Sort of. Of you course, my like internet... Our internet spots out. I'm just excited about the Android coming soon. There you um, go. Yeah, uh, we could hear we could hear you fine. You were just like ignoring us and making us feel marginalized. Well, you know, I'm I'm not in the office with you anymore, James, but I can still do that. Um, so so uh, Master Stroke asks a good final question here for people new right. to Pathfinder in 2E. Is there a good place to go to learn the world history? I've read the world guide, um, but it seems to rely on existing knowledge. Is there a good place to go from here? Um, yes, the, there's, there's, you know, over a decade's worth of material to explore, um, a lot of those different, um, aspects. If you, if, if there's a particular nation or region that you like, um, uh, we've probably published more about it, um, in terms of, of, uh, more current, um, books, we're always exploring, um, you know, those regions, um, in deeper dives as we, as we go forward but there's also uh free resources like pathfinder wiki at pathfinderwiki.com um that uh have compiled a lot of that information so if there's something that you're looking for that is um you know mentioned in the lost omens world guide um but that we haven't um expanded on uh since then um check out the wiki at the very least um you know, someone on there can can probably point you to where you might want to go get more information, even if no one's actually written a, an article about it on the web. Um, An another thing that you could actually grab, too, is the first edition Intercity World Guide. It's it's first edition, but it's mostly edition neutral. That's That was, for many, many years, the ground zero of everything about Galarian. And uh, we really, we had a lot more room in that book, since it's 320-some pages, to, to be more descriptive and, and deeper dives into history. So that's probably, if you're looking for just one book to go to, to, to look deeper behind the scenes, uh, that one's a good choice. And then just keep up on the, the Lost Omens book line as we go, because as we continue to publish more of those, we'll have more information. Yeah, and that's about it. Um, thanks, everyone, for all the great questions. Um, thank you to uh, my fellow panelists here for um, waking up early and, and uh, kicking off our last day of seminars for uh, PaizoCon Online. Um, next up, I uh, believe we have the design team doing uh, uh, some previews of the Advanced Players Guide, which comes out in July. So um, again, thank you. Uh, and uh, find us all on our AMA threads on the Discord or on the Paizo message boards or wherever you can track us down. So see you later. Hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye. The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Gunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, 
and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. <laughs>